Suffering is not a pleasant topic to think about or to talk about, especially when it's the suffering of a loved one or your own suffering. People have suffered excruciating physical pain, injuries, diseases, chronic pain, uh, abuse, in some cases torture and persecution, all of which have emotional and psychological pain as well. Then there's excruciating emotional and psychological pain, stress, anxiety, depression, rejection, insults, slander. And then there are sufferings like political oppression, inequality, injustice, incarceration, isolation. There are many ways to suffer. I can remember being falsely accused by a teacher in high school. I can only imagine what it would be like to be falsely accused of a crime and to unjustly suffer the penalty. Some of you may, may know the story of Walter McMillian. Uh, his story was depicted in the Michael B. Jordan film, Just Mercy. Uh, McMillian was arrested, convicted, and sentenced to execution for a murder that he didn't commit. The sheriff had McMillian put on death row before his trial. He spent 15 agonizing months on Alabama's death row before being tried. What, what's it like to suffer injustice like that? Suffering is not a pleasant topic, and yet suffering is central to the joy of our salvation. For believers, suffering has great meaning. And when we think about suffering, we realize that Christ suffered more than anyone, ever. All the, the suffering from all the diseases, afflictions, injustices, crimes, wars of history taken together cannot begin to rival the suffering of Christ. Is that true? Because when, when we consider that Jesus was flogged, others were flogged. Sometimes they died from it. Uh, Jesus was crucified, but many others were crucified. In 71 BC, Spartacus and his slave army were defeated by General Crassus and his eight legions and 6,000 survivors were crucified along the Via Appia. So, so how can we think Jesus suffered more than anyone else? And, and this is where we need to make sure we understand his suffering. The better we understand his suffering, the better we'll understand how it benefits us. See, the more we understand it, the more we'll rejoice in it. What I'd like us to think about for our moments together this evening is this, Christ suffered for you. Therefore, rejoice that you have God's favor forever. Christ suffered for you. Therefore, rejoice that you have God's favor forever. This makes the suffering of Christ eternally meaningful for us. Zacharias Ursinus' commentary on the Heidelberg Catechism is a rich resource of biblical theology and encouragement. You can read it. It's posted on our website if you want to go to it there. But Ursinus was quite a gift to the church. And this sermon is deeply influenced by Ursinus's thinking about Christ's suffering. And one topic that Ursinus uh, has helped me understand is the varied suffering of Christ during his entire life, from his birth to his crucifixion. Ursinus used the word passion, which comes from the Latin passio, meaning suffering. And Ursinus wrote this By the term passion, we are to understand the whole humiliation of Christ, 
or the obedience of his whole humiliation. All the miseries, infirmities, griefs, torments, and ignominy to which he was subject for our sakes from the moment of his birth even to the hour of his death, as well in soul as in body, end quote. The, the passion or suffering of Christ was all the discomforts, agonies, and sorrows which Jesus experienced as a human being on earth from his birth to his last breath on the cross. From the moment that he was born, he was subject to human frailties. Even as an infant, people were trying to kill him. He suffered body and soul. And your sinus, but more importantly, Scripture itself, says Christ was subject to this suffering for you and for me. I'd like us to think about Christ's suffering and its relevance for us by thinking about Heidelberg 37. Heidelberg 37 explains the line in the Apostles' Creed which says, suffered under Pontius Pilate. Well, we confess that, so we should understand what it means and how it benefits us. Heidelberg 37 asks, what do you confess when you say that he suffered? It answers, During all the time he lived on earth, but especially at the end, Christ bore in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. Thus, by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, he has redeemed our body and soul from everlasting damnation and obtained for us the grace of God, righteousness, and eternal life. I'd like to unpack that a bit uh, this evening. So here's my outline. Number one, Christ physically suffered. Number two, Christ spiritually suffered. Number three, Christ suffered to redeem us from everlasting damnation. And four, Christ suffered to obtain for us the favor of God, righteousness, and eternal life. Number one, Christ physically suffered. It's right to think about the physical pain Jesus endured, especially the flogging, abuse, the crown of thorns, the nails in his hands and feet. He was a true human being who felt pain. But many other men suffered excruciating physical pain, flogging and crucifixion included. We must realize that Christ's pain was much more than physical pain but we don't want to minimize his excruciating physical pain. The Son of God took on human flesh and lived in this world in the middle of pervasive sin and evil. He knew the glories of heaven, yet assumed human flesh and suffered from the day of his birth to his last breath on the cross. What did he suffer? Isaiah said he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. What did did he suffer? All the weaknesses of our human nature except sinfulness. He had no sin, but he got hungry and thirsty. 
He got really tired. He felt sadness and grief. He was poor. He didn't have the conveniences that that you and I have today, and he never complained. He suffered injuries. He was unjustly accused and blamed. He was slandered, and his reputation was defamed. He was blasphemed. He was envied. He was rejected, even by his own family and his hometown. He was mocked. He was tempted by the devil himself. He was falsely accused, flogged, and pierced to a cross. He was stripped naked by the soldiers and subjected to shameful public nakedness. It was, it, it's probable that Jesus was actually naked on the cross. He was shamed. Christ Jesus bore in his body God's holy wrath against sin. Even the cumulative suffering of all humanity cannot compare to his suffering. Number two, Christ spiritually suffered. Heidelberg 37 says, Christ bore in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. Your sinus commented that Christ suffered the keenest and most bitter anguish of soul, which is doubtless a sense of the wrath of God against the sins of the whole human race. It was this that caused him to exclaim upon the cross with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As if he should say, why do you not drive away from me such severe anguish and torments? End quote. Let us remember the the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane, how sorrowful and troubled the soul of Jesus was. Matthew 26, 36 through 39. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Why, why was his soul very sorrowful? Was it the impending pain of injustice or flogging or crucifixion which disturbed his soul? On his face, he prayed, let this cup pass from me. What cup? What cup? Listen to these passages which give us insight into his soul pain. Job 21, verse 20, let their own eyes see their destruction and let them drink of the wrath of the Almighty. Psalm 75, 8, for in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. Isaiah 51, 17, wake yourself, wake yourself. Stand up, O O Jerusalem. You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. Jeremiah 25, 15, thus the Lord, the God of Israel said to me, take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath, 
and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. Revelation 14.10 uses the phrase, the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And Revelation 16.19, the phrase, the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. Make no mistake, Jesus was sorrowful and troubled of soul because he was chosen to drink the cup of God's wrath down to the dregs. It was drinking the cup of God's wrath dry that gave the God-man such soul pain. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul writes, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made his son sin on the cross. The, the son knew no sin. He, he was innocent. Pilate declared such, but he became sin when sin was imputed to him as if he was the worst sinner in the world. And though innocent, by imputation, Jesus became vile on the cross. And there is a penalty for vileness, the penalty of God's righteous fury and damnation. How is it that those who are in Christ Jesus suffer no damnation. How is that? They certainly deserve it. It's because Jesus was damned by God instead of them. Romans 8, 1 through 4 tell us this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now how can that be when sinners deserve eternal damnation, God's damnation? Paul continues, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. He was damned for you and me. Since Christ assumed our sin, he took it upon himself. He suffered God's righteous fury against sin on our behalf. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Christ hung on the cross bearing the curse of the law meant for us. As he suffered on that cross, he was drinking the cup of God's holy wrath dry for you and for me. As Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53, Jesus was bearing our griefs and carrying our sorrows. Isaiah says he was smitten by God, meaning God struck him with the blow of his holy wrath. Upon him was God's chastisement. See, the Lord was laying upon the innocent one our iniquity. And Isaiah added, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Isaiah says, out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. 
Christ suffered physically, but even more spiritually. Heidelberg 37 says that Jesus is the only atoning sacrifice. The only atoning sacrifice. Only the death of God's Son could atone for our sins. Now, propitiate. That's not a word that we often use. You probably didn't use that word this week. We don't often use it. But it's a great word. It's a really, really good word. To propitiate is to conciliate, to reconcile, to make things good between two persons who were at odds with each other. God is righteous and sin offends his righteousness. As sinners, we have transgressed the infinite holiness and righteousness of God. So as sinners, for us to be on good terms with God, God's righteousness must be appeased or satisfied. Christ gave himself as the means by which God's righteousness and holy fury against sin are satisfied. Christ took our place. Christ offered himself as sufficient satisfaction in order to reconcile us to God to receive God's divine and everlasting favor. That's propitiation. Through suffering, Christ moved us out from under God's curse into God's favor. From being cursed into God's favor. For any sinner to be reconciled to God and to receive his divine favor, uh, favor, satisfaction must be made on their behalf. God's holy and righteous wrath against their sin must be satisfied by another because they can't ever satisfy it, not even by suffering an an eternity in hell. That won't cover it. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love. The world is confused about love. They, they do not understand what it is. Okay? So if we want to understand what true love is, we must look here. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Do you know what that means, brothers and sisters? The ultimate expression of love is God sending His Son to suffer, to bear the horrors of sin upon Himself and to suffer God's righteous indignation in order to satisfy God's justice so that we could be reconciled to God and forever delight in the love of God. Christ is the fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's Ephesians 5, 2. Christ offered himself to God as a ransom, to God as a sufficient sacrifice, to God to satisfy the holy hatred of God against sin so that you and I could be accepted and loved by God forever to delight in his favor forever. Your sinus said, quote, thus we see what and how greatly Christ has suffered in our behalf, end quote. 
Jesus Christ suffered anguish of soul for you and me, brothers and sisters. He was forsaken by God so that we would never be forsaken by God. Suffering is central to our eternal joy in Christ. Number three, Christ suffered to redeem us from everlasting damnation. We, we delight in our salvation, right? Why don't we delight in it more? Well, I think at least two reasons come into play. One, we underestimate what everlasting damnation is and how much we deserve it. And two, we underestimate the sufficiency and worth of Christ who alone redeemed us from eternal damnation. Redeem is the Greek word exagorazo, which means to obtain freedom by means of payment or ransom. A payment is made which covers the, the cost of freedom. Damnation is the Greek word krisis, which means judgment. It's a legal decision or sentence. In Matthew 23, Jesus asked the scribes and Pharisees, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell or damned to hell? Christ alone is, is the escape. Christ suffered to redeem our body and soul from everlasting damnation, from God's legal sentence to his righteous wrath forever in hell. And the cost was of infinite value. Therefore, Christ is of infinite value since he is sufficient payment. The suffering of Christ was sufficient to redeem us from the sentence of eternal damnation which we deserve and by which we would never have paid off our sin debt. This is why we rejoice in his sufferings. This is why there ought not to be tears of sadness but tears of joy at the sound of Christ's suffering. We have been redeemed from the curse of the law and from eternal damnation because Christ Jesus is of inestimable worth. So we rejoice. We confess in the Apostles' Creed that Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate considered Jesus innocent. And Heidelberg 38 asks, why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? It's an interesting question, and the answer is, though innocent, Christ was condemned or sentenced by an earthly judge, and so he freed us from the severe judgment of God that was to fall on us. Jesus received what is ours so that we could receive what is his. His damnation is our freedom from damnation. His suffering the wrath of God is our freedom from suffering the wrath of God. Through his suffering, he brings to us the favor of God. Do you realize that you suffering in hell for all eternity could not ever, ever pay God back for the crimes that you have committed against his holiness and justice? Eternity is not enough. And yet Jesus paid it all. Your sinus wrote very helpfully, for he suffered that which we were bound to suffer to all eternity. His passion, therefore, is equivalent to everlasting punishment. Yea, it exceeds it. 
Because that God should suffer is more than that all creatures should perish. Do you realize that Christ's suffering far exceeds the theoretical suffering of every single person ever in hell? And one might ask, how can Christ's suffering be sufficient to cover God's eternal damnation when Christ did not suffer eternal damnation? I've asked that question to myself theologically. I just wondered about that. It's become more clear in the last however long it's been that I've been thinking about this. The answer is this, what Christ suffered far exceeds eternal damnation in its terror and agony and weight. And if we wonder why we rejoice in his suffering, let us simply consider the worth of Jesus to pay off the debt that we accumulated, which suffering in eternal hell could never pay off. He is infinitely valuable, infinitely glorious, Christ is infinitely valuable and worthy and glorious and important and relevant and precious because he is the only sufficient means by which the payment of everlasting damnation is made. If the penalty is everlasting damnation, the means of atonement or propitiation must be infinitely valuable and it is. Christ Jesus, our Savior and Lord, is infinitely valuable, and that's why we celebrate his sufferings. He paid it all for us because he's enough. Not only did Christ redeem us from everlasting damnation, number four, Christ suffered to obtain for us the favor of God, righteousness, and eternal life. Christ's suffering... Received by faith is the means by which you come into God's favor. Christ is your righteousness. Christ is your eternal life. Without his sufferings, you are damned by God. With his sufferings, you are forever in God's favor. Here's the gospel from Romans 5, 6 through 11. Just just take this in, hear it from Paul, and delight in this. This is as true as true can be. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and that's me. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Wow. To be reconciled to God. You and me. God's love is seen in his son suffering and dying for sinners. God's love is seen in sinners being saved by Christ from God's wrath. God's love is seen in his enemies being reconciled to him by the suffering and death of his son. Why do we rejoice in the sufferings of Christ? 
because through them we have been reconciled to God. We are now in God's favor, right now, in God's favor. But our rejoicing, it's not simply an emotional response. That's not all that it is. Our rejoicing is also glad-hearted obedience to our Father's commands. We are in God's favor, and we celebrate Him by obeying Him, by doing what pleases Him. We, we are in His favor, therefore we celebrate by obeying Him, by doing whatever pleases our Father. This compels us to love those who cause suffering in our lives. Who, who has hurt you? Who has brought suffering into your life? Knowing the suffering of Christ can help you glorify Christ by loving them as Christ has loved you. Think about Christ suffering for you. Christ suffered more than you ever will so that you could be freed of hatred, Resentment, bitterness, and free, actually free and liberated to love those who cause you pain and suffering. Why did Paul write this? For the love of Christ controls us. What's that about? Christ's love for us is so abundant, so rich, so unfathomable, so great that it controls us to love Him and to love others with the same kind of love, even our worst enemies. Suffering is at the center of true love. So would you remember this? He suffered for you. He suffered for you. Christ suffered for you. Therefore, rejoice, brothers and sisters, that you have God's favor now and forever. 